I'm live. Hello. Good afternoon. Mike Banner here uh, for the next episode of 62 Who Knew. Uh, we played a repeat last week. It was one of our best. I hope you enjoyed it. I was a little under the weather, but I am back now at full speed, which uh, with what I think really and truly, although with all the exciting shows that we have had since the first week of January of this new year of 2021, um, we're going to, or I'm going to say, you're going to hear some announcements, some current news events um, from our friend, Mr. Richard Ensline, um, from the Weizmann Institute in Israel. He has been on before. Um, but what we're going to be discussing tonight is, is world changing. Um, now, changing things in the world, that's not different for the Weizmann Institute. They've been doing that uh, for the last century. Uh, but you're going to hear things tonight that are incredible. And, of course, joining us also is one of our favorites, um, Mr. Stephen Sless, head of the Sless Group and one of the foremost uh, reverse mortgage experts in the country uh, because anytime we want to talk about uh, something that does affect seniors, and we are going to be talking about something that, like that today, we always want to get Stephen's input on this and how it can affect the world that him and I live in, uh, the reverse mortgage world and our favorite uh, section of people to take care of. And that would be people getting ready to enter retirement or people that are already in retirement. So I don't want to waste any time at all. I'm going to give a quick synopsis, as I always do, um, about our show. Uh, 62 Who Knew was created. Uh, what is this, our 104th episode, John? 104th episode, okay. Um, this was created 104 weeks ago. Uh, 62 Who Knew, the entire premise of 62 Who Knew is to discuss the, um, the double-edged sword, if you wish, the mixed blessing of longer lifespans. Um, although lifespans itself has not raised that much in the last 15 to 20 years. But because of modern science, uh, technology, and uh, all types of medical breakthroughs, all types of vaccines, which is the word of the, uh, of the year, the truth of the matter is, if you make it to 62 in this country, and notice I didn't say make it healthy, just make it to the age of 62 in this country, you have a 50-50 shot of making it to your early 90s. You have to think about that. If you make it to 62, you have a 50-50 shot of being here half the time, 30 years, that you've already been here. And the truth of the matter is, less than 1% of this great country has the financial capability of living those 30 years that's supposed to be retirement, your best years, financially, with a good quality of life. They need help. Here I am six weeks away from my 63rd birthday, still writing mortgages, hosting a TV show. 1% of the country, a little less, is rich enough to retire at 62 and live those 30 years. The rest of us have to figure out how. And that exactly is what 62 Who Knew is. Every week we endeavor to bring you experts on the incredible topic of long-term care insurance, in-home care, Medicare, Medicaid, life insurance, 
reverse mortgages, um, annuities versus the stock market, um, what type of Medicare is best for you, vacation, health. Uh, we have tried very hard to bring experts in to become the nation's leading source of information for you as you approach retirement or maybe with you already be in retirement. But again, who knew at 62? We have another 30 years to go. And based on the scientific and medical research of, uh, of the Weizmann Institute, which is represented tonight here on the show, that 90 might very well be turning into the 100 or hundreds in the very near future in our lifetime. And since our viewership audience has grown to between 80 to 100,000 viewers per week and growing, Thank you, Stephen Sless. Uh, I would assume that this theory of 62 who knew uh, is going over well because we continue to grow. So without any further ado, uh, let us bring up our two guests. And there they are uh, coming, for, uh, coming from us lower. Well, my lower right could be your lower left. Uh, one of our absolute uh, regulars and favorites, national reverse expert and uh, commentator, and every now and then, guest host of the 62 Who Knew television show, Mr. Stephen Sless. Thank you for being with us, Stephen. Always a pleasure. You know that. Great to be back with you today, especially for this show. I, I, I know this one was going to be big, and when, when you reached out to tell me what this topic was, it was one that I couldn't miss. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though it really has nothing to do with reverse mortgages, my God. Uh, oh, it's bigger. It, it, it's bigger than anything that you and I discuss on a daily it basis. It really is. And now uh, the man of the hour, the man with the power, the man that is just too sweet to be sour. I don't know why I turned you into Dusty Rhodes from Worldwide <laughs> Wrestling. I don't know why I did that. But uh, Mr. Richard Enslein, who has been with us before, he was with us the first month this show ever existed. Every time you come on, sir, and talk about um, the latest progresses and projects of the um, – Weissman Institute, people just, just go crazy. And you're one of the reasons we do have, you know, so many viewers on this show. So welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. Well, before we actually get into the, the nuts and bolts, I always explain the backgrounds of my guests. But the truth is, I wouldn't do service to try to explain what the Weizmann Institute has given to this world in the last, I can't say decade, in the last century. Um, so for our viewers, and there are many of them that maybe have never seen you before, or maybe very possibly and probably never heard of the Weizmann Institute, give us a little summary of what the Weizmann Institute has done and some of its accomplishments over the last century. Oh, sure, Michael. The, um, as we get started, I want to let everybody know that I am uh, a national vice president with the American Committee for the Weizmann Institute. We are the fundraising arm for the Weizmann Institute, which is located in Rehovot, Israel. It's about half hour by car southeast of Tel Aviv. Um, it was established in 1934 by Dr. Chaim Weizmann, who was uh, a great accomplished uh, chemist, uh, who was also the 
chemist for the British Admiralty during World War One. He invented uh, smokeless gunpowder from acetone. He held over 100 patents. And in 1934, uh, with the help of uh, uh, the Seif family, um, he established the first building at the Weizmann Institute in Harvard, Israel. Today, there are 3,800 scientists on the campus every day, graduate students, research technicians on a beautiful 300-acre camp campus. Um, it's basic science. It's biology, chemistry, biochemistry, physics, computer mathematics. It does not have a hospital. It does not offer law degrees or any other. Uh, it's not even a university. It doesn't have any undergraduate, but it has a graduate school that gives out uh, degrees in uh, bachelor's, uh, master's of science, PhDs, and postdoctoral work. And the postdoctoral students come, 68% of them come from countries around the world because they want to learn the great hallmarks of this curiosity-based, multidisciplinary, collaborative uh, institute. In 2020, Leiden University of, of the Netherlands uh, ranked Weizmann Institute number eight in worldwide among a research quality among a thousand institutions. Weizmann is the only non-American institution in the top eight. And Nature Magazine, where all the scientists in the world strive to be published, ranked number, Weizmann number two in the world in institutions of its equal size. Um, they collaborate with hospitals worldwide when they get into uh, clinical trials. Uh, they're in uh, the Pasteur Institute in France, the National Institute of Health, MD Anderson, uh, Oxford, Yale, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Memorial Sloan Kettering. So as we speak, there are clinical trials and different things that are going on uh, Give us a couple, if you would, um, just if you would, of some of the things that we deal with when we're sick, normal people, on a daily basis. If you, just a few examples. Okay, what... so when, we, when you uh, watch TV and you see commercials for Umera, there are seven of the top 25 selling drugs in the world have its origins at the Weizmann Institute. And uh, Umera, for instance, was licensed to Abbott Labs. Enbrill, you see Phil Mickelson, who just won the PGA tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's saying, oh, my arthritis is gone. He takes Enbrill. You see the commercial on TV. And then you see Amgen. Uh, that drug was licensed uh, to Amgen from Weizmann. Uh, Frontline uh, treatments for multiple sclerosis, such as Copaxone, Avenex, Rebif, have its origins at the Weizmann Institute of Science. Herbitux, to treat head, neck, and colorectal cancer. Vesivitux, for metastatic colorectal cancer, and on and on and on. Uh, so in... Uh, in the pharmaceutical world, and Weizmann is involved in many, many other things other than pharmaceuticals, um, uh, they have their origins at Weizmann. Weizmann is granted, not applied for, but granted an average of two patents a week. Wow. In, in 2019, from the last statistics that I have, 140 new patents were awarded to the Weizmann Institute. 
And in 2019, $35.5 billion of global sales of products based on Weizmann research left the state of Israel. Unbelievable. Uh, so there are many, many things. When, um, when you use your ATM card in the bank, the uh, algorithms that protect the encryptions, Weizmann mathematicians were part of that, of that research. Um, and there are many, many other things that we use on a, on a daily basis that come from the Weizmann. Well, and uh, I don't want to belabor this. But it's something that you said the first time we ever spoke, and it uh, it gave me the chills, and it still sort of gives me the chills. I had assumed, being in Israel, you know, that the great, great majority of your doctors and uh, scientists and researchers um, would be Jewish in Israel. I was wrong about that, and I remember what you said, and please tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm misquoting, but I think it was the... Uh, I think I told this to you maybe in the past, Stephen. You said to us um, on the first show you were at, here at Weitzman, we don't care the shape of your eyes. We care about the size of your brain. Well, that, that's, that oversimplifies it. But yes, as I said, 68% of the postdoc students come from other countries. And many of them... Um, as they get to be postdocs, they're in their early 30s, they will meet somebody invariably in Israel, marry, and a lot of them have stayed. So you can go on campus at any time and find uh, scientists from uh, China, from Japan, from, I've met them from Holland, from uh, Argentina, from South Africa. Uh, I see every shape of eye, every color of skin, there's tremendous diversity on campus, and they celebrate diversity. Um, they just celebrated it recently uh, on campus, even during the, the conflict that just passed. They celebrated the diversity. There are scientists on campus who are Muslim uh, that grew up on the West Bank. Mm -hmm. it, it, it all has to do with, as you said, the size of their brain. Uh, but to what their accomplishments are uh, scholastically and what they have to offer. So it, you, you don't have to be Jewish to go study in Israel and to live in Israel and to be part of this great institution. Absolutely not. Stephen, before I start any specific questions, do you have any questions about the Weizmann Institute? I'm still blown away by the number of patents that are being issued. Uh, I think most most organizations and, and most research firms struggle to get one or two patents in, in their lifetime uh, of, of being an organization and, uh, you know, 150 plus in, in the past year. I mean, it's just it's mind boggling the work that's being done there. Oh, and we're only covering a fraction of it. We could easily do two or three shows uh, on the Weizmann Institute. And um, I want to get into one a few things. And actually, I'm going to leave COVID-19 for the last one. Um, the last time you were here, Richard, you told us about some very promising studies in stage one about possibly being very close uh, to the cure of Alzheimer's. And I know that has taken some, some giant leaps uh, since the last time you were here. And I'd love you to explain that to us. Well, I'd be happy to. Uh, recently, uh, for our 
supporters, we did a webinar that we presented that I could share with anybody. I have a hyperlink to it that you can hear from yourself what I'm about to tell you. Um, but for the last 20 years, one of the scientists Weitzman, who I've had the pleasure to see in Israel and has worked with me here in the U.S., her name is Professor Michal Schwartz. And uh, she had lost, launched a phase one clinical trial um, trying to prove that she can cross the blood-brain barrier. And uh, in mice, she was able to reverse dementia. And she did this with uh, experiments that she showed with young mice in a pool of water with a dive platform. And mice hate water, and they want to get out of the water. And the mice, the older mice, um, when they put them in the, uh, the water, they couldn't find their way out. And the older mice that they treated, um, and I'll get into how she did it, um, were able to find their way out of the water. So that was a stage one clinical trial, Michael, that I had spoken to you about. Since then, they've proved the concept in warm-blooded animals, specifically in monkeys. And now they've applied to the FDA and the EMA, that's the European Medical Association, for the right to do these trials in human beings. And we expect to start these trials by the end of this calendar year. Um, so how does she do this? Um, for the last 20 years in her research, Michal was trying to prove that you can cross the blood-brain barrier, which is a membrane that's in the back of our necks about, uh, and it protects uh, the blood that's crossing into the brain, not to bring viruses and bacteria that will cause our brains not to work the way they should. And the dogma for scientists around the world was that you could not cross this blood-brain barrier. But through the cerebrospinal fluid, and working with the immune system, Michal found a way to cross the blood-brain barrier and to supercharge our immune systems with a proprietary antibody called IBC-AB002, a little bit too much technical information, <laughs> but they developed a biopharma company called Immunobrain Checkpoint that uses this proprietary antibody to enhance the immune system and induce the brain repair process. So I've oversimplified it. Right. I hope you uh, were able to understand completely what I, what I just said. Um, when you go back into what you hear about now in cancer, when you hear about uh, immunotherapy Treatments. Yeah, I was going to ask you to explain. started with a paper that was written in the 1980s at the Weizmann Institute, and now today regularly um, certain leukemias and multiple myelomas are successfully treated, um, which were death sentences before, they can be successfully treated using supercharging the immune system. So they're using the, she's using the same theory of methodology that it's our immune system and to oversimplify it, the reason why we age is our immune systems weaken. So think about it rationally that there is a, a connection there to dementia, 
to the to the aging brain. So this is where she's gone. It's now in a company. Uh, in my open, I failed to mention that Weitzman has one of the largest technology transfer companies that's also on campus. It's called Yeda, Y-E-D-A. In Hebrew, Yeda means knowledge. And Yeda is the company that licenses the intellectual property of the Weitzman Institute to companies and corporations all over the world. Um, it is one of the largest technology transfer companies in the world. Um, some years ago, Harvard went and hired away the, at, the, at the time head of uh, Weitzman's Yeda to head their technology transfer. So in the, in the, in the uh, academic world, it's, it's, it's very well done. Richard, Richard, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't know what immunotherapy is. And I, and I have a feeling many, many of our um, viewers do not know. So could we take it just a step backwards and tell us what is immunotherapy? I know it has greatly helped my nephew with his cancer. I, I read about it, but I only look for it because you told me those words. Can you tell people uh, what this staggering new technology of, of treating cancer? There are certain drugs that have been invented that supercharge the immune system in, in specifics. So in, in blood cancers, they're using specific drugs uh, that are different drugs, but maybe cousins to it uh, in, in the chemistry of the drug. Um, so, for instance, in blood cancers, they're using uh, drugs like Keytruda that you hear about on television. And you see commercials. And they're using combinations of drugs to supercharge our immune system. So the immune system could be lax and not recognizing the cancer cells and therefore not attacking them. Um, in certain viruses, like the viruses caused our pandemic, the virus can conceal itself from our immune system, which is why it's not, our immune systems aren't killing it on contact. So to keep it simple and simplistic without getting into uh, to, uh, great chemistry, um, there are new drugs that, that have been invented by some of the major pharmas that uh, are enabling our immune system to recognize the invaders that they're, they're, that they're not seeing, to be able to kill uh, these pathogens and, and these uh, cancer cells. So it, it's the whole basis of how our, our bodies work. Uh, we have white blood cells, as you know, that, that'll ward off uh, certain bacteria that keep us from, uh, from being sick. And uh, now scientists around the world have found different ways to supercharge the immune system to protect our bodies. And that's basically what this new, um, what this new vaccine is doing, this new RNA vaccine. But that's another, another right. subject that's a little more, a little more detailed. <laughs> Richard, this is Steve. We... Just a quick question that comes to mind. We, we saw with the COVID-19 vaccine, the, the advanced timeline, 
right? I mean, nor, uh, normal vaccine taking, what, three to five years or, or longer. I think the vaccine was developed in, in nine or 10 months. And so all politics, of course, aside, what, what does that mean? Did, did that set a new precedent for this type of research uh, being fast-tracked to come up, to come up with cures? Or yes, are we still yes. looking at, you know, 8, so, 10, 15 years down the road for a potential cure to dementia, ALS, uh, and that sort of thing? There's even more, Stephen. There's even more that I haven't uh, shared with Michael. Um, uh, about a month ago, the Weitzman, the American Committee of the Weitzman Institute put on a uh, webinar with Dr. Michael Dalston, who's the chief scientific officer of Pfizer, who was involved with his group in inventing the Pfizer vaccine. Dr. Dalston did part of his education and his postdoctoral at the immunology department at the Weitzman Institute of Science. So he is a Weitzman alum, so to speak. So are a lot of the scientists that were at Moderna. A number of their scientists who were doing the research had done their immunology training at, at the Weitzman Institute during their postdoctoral uh, period. And at the end of the call, when uh, people like yourself were able to type in the chat room their questions, one of the questions they asked uh, Dr. Dalston is, what are you working on now? And during the call, he put on one of his friends that he collaborated with uh, a doctor at the NIH. I can't recall his name right now. And they said, what are you gentlemen working on now? And they said, now that we have the first RNA vaccine for COVID-19, we're using the RNA methodologies that we've used, and we're working on a vaccine for cancer. Think about that for a minute. Un unbelievable. It absolutely blew my mind when he said it. They've been able to understand more of the pathways. Uh, and Michael, I'm going to use this as a segue without us having pre-discussed this. It's okay. Um, tell you a little bit more about microRNAs. Yes, please. So, they were once thought to be the garbage around our genes. But as it turns out, they're actually a treasure, microRNAs, tiny strands of RNA which control the expression of our genes. They are, in fact, intricately involved in nearly all aspects of regulating the lives of the cells that play roles in all human diseases. At Weitzman, Professor Ron Hornstein's research is bringing these short RNAs into the spotlight, showing, for example, that certain microRNAs are crucial for the survival of motor neurons. When these fail to function, the result may be amotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a devastating motor neuron disease that gradually robs its victims of movement. So they found that there's an enzyme called Dicer uh, that's failing. And to fast track, Michael, where I'm going with this, there is now a clinical trial that's been signed uh, at McGill University in Montreal to 
take this research to the next level into clinical trials. So when I said to you on the phone that there's new hope now for ALS, this is exactly what I was talking about. And it comes down now to this tiny treasure of microRNAs. So again, as I said in my open, basic science is finding new knowledge. I had some years ago the pleasure of uh, traveling with another scientist who works in, in, in the immunology department who was a doctor at St. Margaret's Hospital in Toronto. And he went back to being, he was an oncologist, and he went back for his PhD and he wanted to be a researcher. And I was driving in the car with him. I said, why would you do that? You make so much money as a doctor. You don't make much money as a, as a researcher at Weizmann. It's a government controlled salary. And he answered me, I sat at the bedside of my patients suffering from these terrible blood cancers. And generally, we had, all, we had the same result. We treated them the same way for 20 years, and they all died. Now he's gone on to find that the stem cells that will cause these cells in our bodies to mutate and to have the problem where we end up with a blood cancer start 10 years before you will have any signs of the cancer. And he's gone on to find now ways to change, and he's investigating ways to change the change these cells before they mutate. So he embodied it. He, he basically said, why are we doing the same thing with the same outcome? Everybody dies. We need to do something different. And this is, this is what basic science is. It's finding new knowledge, going to find new things. And the, the, the fortitude that these people have is incredible because they can run thousands and thousands of failed experiments before they find the answer. In 2009, Professor Michal, uh, no, Professor Adiyunath won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry finding the structure and the function of the ribosome which is the protein-making factory of our bodies. And when speaking with her in Israel in 2010, she told me she had 25,000 failed experiments over the course of 20 years. So she found the answer. Today, understanding how the ribosome works is the key to, under, it's the protein-making factory of our bodies. It was the key component of this knowledge of being able to form these new vaccines. So one science builds on the other, right. and it takes years and years of, of these really brilliant people uh, who have the academic freedom at Weizmann to follow what they want. They're not told to go find the cure for breast cancer or the cure for ALS, but rather, what is your question? What do you want to solve? And that's the interview. They know what their grades are when they come to see the the uh, leadership at Weizmann, but they asked them, what, what's your question? What, where do you want to go? What do you want to find? And they look for the people to have the, not only the, the mental capacity, but they also look to see if they'll have the fortitude to stick with it for that's, the time it takes to get there. That's it, it's a very, very special place, and I, I would urge anyone uh, listening that when they're in Israel to contact us, there's a... There's a uh, a visitor center, and we'll be happy to show you some of it.
I, Question. Uh, Steven, I'm sorry. Were you going to say something? I, I, I have five or six questions that have Go, come to I, mind. I, have, uh, I got one, but I'll save mine. Go ahead. I'll just I'll start with I'll, let's let's go with my my top two right so a, as you're speaking Richard what comes to mind is had it not been COVID nineteen had, had COVID nineteen not struck the world in the awful way that it that it did and still continues to would a lot of these advances in this research and technology be be possible today or or was it COVID nineteen that brought to light this new way to create vaccines. And, and from that, you know, even though COVID-19 no, they, they, was they, awful, they were studying this virus. long before COVID-19 was not the, was not the catalyst. The, the uh, immunology department was studying, uh, studying RNA and protein studies been going on for years. There's a whole, Science of, of proteins called the, the science of proteomics, which is which means the study of proteins, and this has been going on for decades. And knowledge stacks on itself. They find one thing, then they find another thing, and it builds. Um, in uh, Michal Schwartz's talk, which I could share with you, she talked about fifteen of her graduate students are now in major labs around in different cities in different countries around the world. So, um, now, so the answer is no. Um, what changed with, with, uh, with the pandemic, with COVID-19, 65 labs at Weizmann switched over to do COVID-19 research, and they were doing something called open research to try to make this happen in the time frame that it happened. So normally a scientist will write papers, get them published, so that they're credited for the knowledge that's out there. And then they'll go to patent, which could take a long time, as you know, yeah. to patent their molecule, whatever their findings were. And then they share the information with the rest of the world. The Weizmann scientist in COVID went to what's called open research. And they put their research out there before patenting and before publishing. And they shared it with other labs around the world. And that went on with other labs in the world, labs like at Oxford or at the Max Planck in Germany or the Pasteur in France or Memorial Sloan Kettering or the NIH. The scientists were sharing openly the information when it came to uh, COVID-19. And in my personal opinion, that's what pushed the vaccine to be done within, within a year. Um, imagine they if weren't the looking world, to make money. They were looking to solve the problem. Imagine if the world could actually operate like that, um, not just in a, in a pandemic. Um, you know, I, I know I'm getting on a soapbox here, but. Well, it, 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 it costs a lot of money to run these labs and to, uh, to have I'm these sure. different great institutions around the world. So, uh, uh, hypothetically, that would be great, but that's not reality. Yeah, uh, I know. It, it costs a, money to turn on the lights. <laughs> I have a question, and then Steve has a few more, I know. With human trials beginning, you know, by the end of this year, I'm back to the uh, cure for Alzheimer's. Um, if How long do those trials usually go on? And then the next part of that question would be, is that when you go to the FDA for approval? I mean... Are we still a decade away from seeing where we've gone to them for approval to do the trials in humans? A decade away? 
hopefully not. Um, I'll try to answer your more question more succinctly. So let's say the clinical trials start in January on humans, and they have to then find the people who are willing to participate in right. the trial. I'm sure they'll do open and blind trials. Right. And uh, they'll have to report the, the, uh, the findings to the FDA, and then it takes time for them to rule on their finding and then to go to the process. So it could take some years um, to get where you have an approved uh, drug or methodology uh, to the public. But what's major here is she's proved her theory. She's proved that, and it's been proved in, in cancer research, that to oversimplify it, to supercharge our own immune systems, we can defeat a lot of this. Um, so you talked about in the beginning of your show, uh, Michael, about how long we live now. How long will we live when we can master this? Well, and that, live well? that could be, Stephen and I have talked about this many times, you know, thanks to the Weizmann Institute, and let's give credit where credit is due, other institutes throughout the world that Absolutely. I'm not fortunate enough to be uh, familiar with. What is going to happen? And Stephen and I discuss this all the time. You know, when the average age is 100 or 110, this brings a world, just a plethora of other problems. I mean, from food shortages to medicine shortages to here in Florida, the retirement capital of the, of the United States of America, there's already a shortage for senior housing. There's a shortage for health care people. There's a shortage for in-home care people. What's going to happen when we're living another 20, 30 years? So um, that's a, I won't even say that's a show, Stephen. That's a series of shows for us. But being, I think, the oldest, am I the oldest person on the, on the usually I am. Now, compared to me, you're a baby. Okay. Well, <laughs> I like that. Can you be a regular? Because I'm usually the oldest person on the show. I'm 74. Okay. Well, you don't look it. It's all those, it's all those secret drugs you're getting from Israel. Um, you're, you're, I think you look younger now than 100 shows ago when you first came on. So something's Thank going you. on here. Stephen, we got to find out his secret. Um, but I think in our lifetime... Stephen and I and you at 74, we're going to see this, that 90 is just, I won't say 90 will be the new 60, but 90 might be the new 75 in 10 years. And I know you mentioned something else, and I don't want to take away from Stephen's questions because this is his first um, you know, introduction really to the Weizmann Institute, but you had mentioned that other scientists, you said you know, one science leads to another. Uh, one discovery leads to another. Uh, I think on the last uh, time that you were on the show, you spoke about when we were talking about removing plaque from the brain, which was part of the science of curing Alzheimer's, that that led to a different part of Weitzman that said, wait a minute, if we can remove plaque from the brain, can't we remove it from your major arteries which could prevent strokes and heart attacks and literally have people living to be 110 or 120. Am I, did I misinterpret that? No, no there's, there's, there, I, 
we won't have time to get into it uh, on this show tonight, but there, uh, one of the scientists at Weitzman has found a molecule called agrin that they found that babies can repair heart muscle tissue from birth till eight days. But when we have a heart attack, we get scar tissue, and as you know, it doesn't repair itself. Right. Now they're, they're investigating this molecule agrin to see if they can repair heart damage after heart attacks. I don't know where that's going to lead. So to answer your question, they're also working on, um, on new hybrids of foods and new ways to grow the food. And I'm sure you've seen the different tiered greenhouses where they have yeah. one level above the other. So they're going to produce more food from a smaller amount of the earth. Um, they're, they're working on these problems. They're looking to, to create uh, fuels uh, they've been working on from algae. So, you know, we, we hear all things about the batteries and the cars. There's lots of other research that's going on that can possibly solve these problems. So it, it all comes back to getting brilliant people together and giving them their freedom scholastically to follow their curiosity and to do collaborative research. Because at Weitzman, it's, it's the norm, not unusual, to have a computer scientist in the lab with a biologist in with a, with a, with a with a PhD in physics, they they collaborate in the life sciences and they put all this knowledge together to to get to these new uh, discoveries. Stephen, isn't it just amazing? I mean, you and I, without patting ourselves on the back, trying to try to be humble about this, we're of reasonable intelligence. I have to say, you and I, okay? I mean, I'm not going to split an atom in the near future, but I consider myself a fairly smart individual, and you and I can't figure out how to get the public to believe that the reverse mortgage lender doesn't take their house, even though it's against the law for them to do that. And then there's a group of people sitting over there trying to bring our lifespans to 120 and doing tens of thousands of experiments on a molecular level. It sort of makes me feel like should be swinging from a tire, you know, on a tree with a, <laughs> that I should have an abacus going, what am I doing here? Um, it really is just staggering to think about, isn't it? It, it is, it is mind-blowing. It's just completely mind-blowing. But I think Richard hit on, you know, something that, that you and I have been doing for quite some time in our little reverse mortgage world, and that's collaborating. Right. We, we, we try to get the smartest people together. We know that the two of us, I mean, of, you know, we are, of course, of reasonable intelligence, to use your own words. But we're not, you know, if, if we're the smartest ones in the room, we're in the wrong room. That's for um, sure. it, it is collaborating with the researchers in our industry, the Wade Fowles, the Jamie Hopkins. You know, the, the, there's look, this is a different type of research. Right. I, I don't want to compare financial and retirement research to the work that the Weitzman's group right. is, is, is spearheading. Um, but, you know, collaborating and involving the smartest people and, and you know, just sharing ideas and, and different ways to do things. And we've seen what a difference that's made in our industry and, and look at what it's doing on a far grander scale. Um, and it's that autonomy, you know, when, when you let the creative minds be the creative minds and you give them the autonomy. And we saw what could happen, you know, with, with the COVID vaccine when, 
You just say, you know what, there's bigger issues at stake than making money. And even though that's important, right, it's what makes the world go round. But yeah. when you put money and politics aside and you just focus on the things that really matter, um, what can really be possible and what can be achieved? It, it's incredible. Um, I, I, a couple, I do have a couple burning questions. No, Richard. go ahead. So we one, still have time. We're good. So are, what, what about people that already have cancer or that already have ALS or Alzheimer's? Is, is there technology? Is this technology, um, you know, is there research on reversing some of these things or is this more preventative, uh, you know, treatments? Great and question. then my second part to this question is, so so the Alzheimer's Association is a cause that I've gotten passionately behind. Um, I'm a big, uh, you know, I'm on the board locally here in Maryland of the association, and, and I see the dollars that are being spent. Uh, where does Weitzman's research, how is the, how is the research funded? Where, where are, are, the, are the funds and the proceeds that we're raising here in my area on a very small level does, does that do they trickle and make their way to fund some of this research all the way in Israel? Well, no, to answer your question directly, our the money that funds Weitzman comes from our international donor base. Twenty percent of the budget comes from the Israeli government, and it used to be much higher years ago. But because they know that we're making money from technology transfer. Uh, Money from technology transfer from our endowment, um, the spend rate of about four and a half percent of the endowment goes into the to the overall budget. To answer your question directly, the Alzheimer's Association, within the last six months, or so I'm going by memory, not quoting to the exact date, has contributed to Immuno Checkpoint to Michael Schwartz's work. Uh, Michal in Florida did address uh, about 900 people about two, three years ago in Boca Raton at an Alzheimer's uh, Association dinner. Actually, it was a luncheon in, uh, in Boca West. And uh, there are, I would have to say, though, that the bulk of it is coming from. Uh, from global philanthropy, of which the American Committee produces a great portion of the monies for for Weizmann research. Um, there are great philanthropists in the world that have been that know about Weizmann and have been contributing to it, and we're seeking more support all the time. Uh, science is expensive. Uh, all of your major places in the U.S., Memorial Sloan Kettering, M.D. Anderson in Houston, they all have fundraising steps to raise uh, major dollars uh, for these efforts. So uh, science isn't cheap. Uh, when I look at what these microscopes cost today and some of the imaging machinery, there are millions and millions of dollars just for the equipment. Weitzman, though, does their equipment a little differently from U.S. Uh, labs. We have uh, places on campus for imaging and nanoimaging, and the scientists will make uh, appointments to use that equipment, and we have staff scientists who operate the equipment. So in the U.S., each lab may have their own special microscopes. Uh, at Weitzman, it's more of a collaborative where they'll use the same equipment on appointment in the same building. So it's a, 
It's a little bit uh, reduction of scale, so to speak, to keep the cost down. Israel is not is doing well, but it's not a country that has the uh, capacity as the United States. It was it was Chaim Weitzman's dream, and he said it in a speech in 1948 when they renamed the institute from the Daniel Seas Institute to the Chaim Weitzman Institute to the Weitzman Institute. That he said that we will not be able to be a country by exporting oranges and fruit. We don't have oil under the ground. What we're going to have to export is brain power. And he was prophetic then in 1948, and holds true today. Um, I'd like to, to add in here that, uh, and I don't want to be any by chance political, but around the time of the Abraham Accord, there was a, a, a deal signed by uh, Mohammed Ben Zayed University in the UAE and the Weizmann Institute to collaborate on artificial intelligence research. His Excellency Dr. Excellency Dr. Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar met with Weizmann Institute President Alal Ken, uh, assigned an MOU in a virtual ceremony on September 12, 2020. The UAE has spent billions of dollars, literally billions with a B, on the most powerful supercomputers that are not only in the Middle East, but also in Europe. And the Weizmann scientists will be able to are able to now they've gone to go to the UAE and use their equipment and in return the best life science students at the UAE will be able to go to the Weizmann Institute and train in their fields there and this is possible because in Weizmann the language that is used to teach in the graduate school is English. English is the universal language of science so I'm thinking about not only the economies of Israel, but as oil is going to be used less into the, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, the uh, countries there realize they have to switch to uh, high-tech economies. And, uh, and they're doing so. They see it coming. So I'm, I'm without being political, I'm aging, I don't want to talk about either political party, I'm hoping that people, to people, will make peace with each other to live in harmony. And I see that happening through science. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that the Weizmann Institute and other institutes like it does um, totally back the theory you know, that intelligence breeds benevolence. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm one of those people that Hope that I live long enough to, don't laugh now, you know, to see alien life. I mean, to see it land, you know, not to see it on the front of the Inquirer. And sometimes people go, how do you know it's going to be friendly? Well, I'm sure there's bad aliens and good aliens. But the odds are, if they had the scientific capabilities of getting here, my bet is, Vegas says, the odds are they're going to be peaceful because intelligence breeds benevolence and from what i can tell you know right there in the weitzman institute and again i'm sure in institutes all over the planet one of the things you just led me into is the last thing i wanted to mention all right that, do it uh, do it we got five minutes well one of the last things i wanted to mention is that uh at weitzman one of the great uh 
advances that they're looking to do is to build a new building uh, to house 40 international uh, neurobiology groups, to put all the people to one space where they can collaborate. And the other building they're building now is uh, a project they're calling Frontiers of the Universe. Yes. And Weitzman, along with uh, European Space Agency, NASA, uh, major uh, industries in Israel, are building a microsatellite projected to launch in 2024 on a NASA rocket from Cape Canaveral, will operate an ultraviolet light telescope designed to observe the universe in a way it's never been done before outside of the Earth's atmosphere. So instead of the satellite looking down at Earth, it's going to be looking out into the universe for planets that, and solar systems that can um, maintain life. So the question I'll, I'll leave you with is, are we alone in well, the I universe? I know we're not alone. I, I, I don't have to even come close to, uh, to that question. That I know we're not alone. Well, this is, what, this, is a, this is another flagship project of the Weizmann Institute going forward. Um, uh, there'll be high-energy particle physics learned from this, advanced physics technology, cosmology, extreme, extreme astrophysics. And as one of the scientists said to me, Richard, you're nothing but space dust. The evolution of our planet, all, all of the elements on our planet come from Earth. So he calls me space dust. I don't know if John Gaston, who is the, uh, not only the producer of the show, uh, but the founder of WeBeam TV, which I always have, I always have to say when I have an opportunity, just an incredible thing. Anybody who's thinking about a television show who thinks that uh, may not be within your reach, and here we are talking to a hundred thousand people a week. Um, you know, I think maybe in our lifetime, with what you're explaining, we beam TV might have a totally different meaning. Rather than beaming you in like this, we'll just beam you in, and you can sit next to me. Well, I asked the physicist that, who's working on quantum computers, computers that are no bigger than the key fob that can send information on atoms at the speed of light. The speed of light, 187,000 miles a second. Think about how information is going to move. So maybe you'll be doing reverse mortgages in the UAE. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine how much money will lend people, Stephen, when the oh average gosh. age is 120? Unbelievable. Well, yeah, I, I, the, 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 the amateurization tables are going to have to be altered a little bit. They're going to be very thick. <laughs> well, I know Gene Roddenberry is smiling wherever he is. Many people think Gene Roddenberry died. I just think he went back to the planet that he originally came from. Um, but that's also a different show. we got a minute and a half left. Stephen, one more question. Back, if you back, have to, back, back to the question that I, uh, that I asked, and I, th I don't think we got to it. So is this more... Proactive oh, that's right. uh, research, Richard, or are, are we actually are we talking the ability to reverse some of the symptoms of these terrible ailments? Where they're going with the clinical trials, if the clinical trials are successful, they will be able to reverse it. Oh my God! Well, I gave you a qualitative answer. The clinical trials will have to be successful. I've been involved in since I've been at Weitzman. With, uh, knowing about clinical trials that worked and some that didn't work. 
So um, I'm qualifying uh, the answer. There's a new drug that we're waiting for FDA approval now called Tucod. It's made from bacteria chlorophyll. It's a uh, forty it's seconds. A drug, it's a drug that is curing um, prostate cancer without cutting you open. Oh. It's 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 activated by fiber optic light. They're they're starting clinical trials at Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, to try this method on pancreatic cancer. Okay, so we, we have we only. Know it works on the prostate, but now they're going to try it somewhere else. So we're waiting for, for the FDA to give us approval to market this drug. It is approved in Europe by the EMA. In any of the countries in the European Union, you can get this treatment. We have five seconds left. Thank you so much, both of you. Richard, you've you got to come on again soon. Thank you, everybody out there. Thank you both so much, Richard and Stephen.